Hi, podcast listeners. Welcome back to part two of our wildlife rescue rehabbing episode. Now with our conversation with Subaru from Bangalore. Thank you. Hi, I am uh, Subaru or uh, Subram- uh, short for Subramanian Shantakumar. So I think Subaru would be easier for you. Uh, and I am an honorary trustee of Wildlife Rescue and Rehabilitation Center Bangalore, uh, which uh, has uh, two product, uh, pro- projects, uh, one being uh, rescue and rehab of uh, urban wildlife. And the other is our work with uh, uh, welfare of captive elephants, which includes uh, rescue, uh, rehab, treatment, and also legal advocacy. We've been fighting, and our legal advocacy is not uh, not only with uh, the... Uh, uh, welfare of captive elephants, but also with uh, uh, respect to other wildlife. Uh, for instance, uh, we uh, the government came out with uh, one of the most, uh, for the lack of a better word, stupid, uh, uh, unthought out uh, <laughs> notification that, uh, where they decided to declare uh, a few animals as vermin, therefore could be exterminated. Uh, and that included India's national bird, the peacock, or the peafowl, as you would call it. Huh. And we challenged that in the court. Uh, we challenged both the order. The order got repealed, uh, but uh, we challenged the constitutional validity of uh, the section under which this order was promulgated. Unfortunately, we lost that part, but uh, we haven't given up. We are now still pursuing how that section of the particular law can be repealed and uh, thereby closing the avenue for such uh, erroneous, unthought-out, ignorant orders could be promulgated in future. When it comes to animals that get sort of physically rescued by the rescue, Mm -hmm. what sort of animals get brought in um, out of a a really large city uh, like Bangalore? We get a call. Uh, we get calls uh, for multiple. I mean, uh, almost all kinds of animals uh, that uh, that we are called in for rescue. But uh, primarily, uh, the you can uh, classify. So before I tell you what kind of animals, I would uh, like to touch upon the reasons why they are brought in. Go ahead. All right. Yeah. So the first, uh, the foremost reason. So this is, most of it is conflict situations because uh, one thing that people don't understand or are unaware of and have taken for granted is the is this whole thing called urban wildlife and an urban ecosystem that exists all around us. Uh, they, they don't realize that there is an ecosystem in spite of us, us being living in a so-called civilized society. Uh, we have an ecosystem that is complete with its own hierarchy. Uh, uh, with its own set of predators and prey animals and all of those. People don't understand that. People take it for granted and sometimes behave in a very ignorant manner, uh, causing uh, and giving room for a lot of conflict situations, which includes snakes getting into a human dwelling or birds crashing into buildings or uh, traps set by people for birds and other small uh, mammals. So these these are these are this is the biggest uh, reason uh, why we get the animals brought into our shelter, and uh, other human activities like uh, construction. When a construction starts, uh, it starts with excavation, right? So there is uh, manual excavation and uh, uh, earth moving equipment excavation that results in uh, the uh, reptiles, a, a whole lot of reptiles that get injured with uh, like broken backs or being mangled beyond uh, uh, recognition or even being uh, or for us to be able to save them. So all these are these are some of the reasons uh, from a human animal conflict perspective that they're brought in. 
And the other reason is confiscation from the illegal uh, pet trade. Wild animals are not supposed to be maintained as pets or kept in captivity, yet in spite of that, there's a huge market for this. And uh, the this pet trade is also there for some superstitious beliefs, like, for example, uh, a reptile like the Bengal land monitor, which is a huge uh, lizard, uh, one of the biggest lizards in India, if I'm not mistaken, uh, they uh, they use that whole animal for multiple things. First, they capture it from uh, its uh, uh, abode, which is up. It's an arboreal, primarily, uh, I won't call it an arboreal animal, but it's usually found up on the tree sunning itself. They drag it from there, twist its uh, twist his limbs behind, and pull out their hamstr- pull out the hamstrings and tie the uh, uh, claws together. You know, and then what? And these are sold to gypsies who walk around selling their blood. So two to three ml of blood uh, topped uh, topped with uh, club soda or sparkling water uh, fetches about uh, three to, between three to five thousand uh, Indian rupees, uh, which is anything between fifty to seventy odd dollars for a glass, and uh, it's believed to be an aphrodisiac. Then the talons are used as talismans. Uh, the animal is then boiled alive to extract the fat as an oil, which is believed to be, believed to be a cure for rheumatism. And uh, the flesh is also uh, sold uh, because uh, as an exotic flesh, eh? and uh, some people, there are different beliefs that the flesh cures a myriad of uh, ailments. I mean, people, I, I really don't know why people need aphrodisiacs. I mean, I've seen this uh, very interesting, <laughs> I've seen this very interesting uh, cartoon, which, uh, which had the lone uh, white rhino looking at a hunter. Uh, asking him, you are uh, a few billion people and you still uh, want aphrodisiacs. So that's I exactly why I, I... I wanted the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. I mean, if, if it was that, then uh, why do we need to produce Viagra in the, uh, and sell it for such uh, exorbitant price? I mean, in fact, there is a movement to bring down the price of Viagra, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, so I, don't, yeah, I really yeah, don't know why we want these uh, very expensive... Uh, pl- uh, placebo. I can't even call it a placebo. Yeah. It's snake oil, snake for the oil. lack of well, any other. Or monitor oil in this case, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, monitor oil, if you will. So that, so that is, uh, so same goes with a lot of animals that are being used. You know, now one of the things, biggest uh, trade uh, uh, thing that is being used for trade is uh, the uh, for such uh, requirements is the pa- uh, Indian pangolin. Uh, if you're familiar with the Indian pangolin, and this is again in the Goa, uh, the western coast and the western ghats where you find um, the maximum population of these animals, uh, their scales are powdered for various ailments, for, and this is uh, especially for the Chinese market. So that's the uh, other part of it. So one is for the sale for body parts and consumption, and the other is for pets. Yeah. Pets ranges from things like your uh, two-headed snake, uh, as they call it, or which is nothing but the red earth boa, who has whose tail. Uh, he uses Batesian mimicry. Uh, he raises his tail, which looks like a head, to distract the uh, predator so that he can make an escape. Yep. Right. So these people, what they do is they uh, they capture this poor slow-moving animal, file in uh, a false uh, face into its tail which is a very painful process and then uh, they feed force feed it with ball bearings uh, to increase the weight because this animal is sold by the weight and the person who buys it uh, is being sold uh, because this animal is supposed to bring good luck and uh, 
once uh, i mean the person would buy it he wouldn't know he would be told that the animal is just eaten so he's not going to be eating for a month uh, or two or if not more and the poor animal will suffer a slow and painful death over the next few days yeah and uh, the person supposing i am the person who's bought it i have no clue about wildlife it dies and he says okay fine we'll probably die, die, died of some hunger or whatever some disease or whatever and i would just dispose it off in the trash you know so uh, these are the primary reasons and then of course some infighting you know sometimes uh, the uh, especially kites uh, during breeding season and otherwise uh, t- um, uh, territorial fights and other infights all of those a few that, that actually constitutes the smallest uh, uh, percentage of animals that are brought in something i'm i'm curious about asking about and this is something you know i, I plan to ask when we talk to people in philadelphia also because i know that in both both in the rescues around here and also looking at your Facebook page at your work, um, mm-hmm. sometimes you end up with an animal that gets, uh, and, and, I, and I'll, I'll set aside the animals that are traded into the city. It's a, sort of a separate category for the moment, at least. Um, yeah. With the animals that, um, as you were talking about, that are part of sort of the urban um, ecosystem, uh, yeah. how do you handle where to put them once they're taken out of someone's home if that person's home, or at least maybe their garden or the, the street around their home, is actually that animal's natural habitat. Mm-hmm. Okay, so uh, again, there are two ways of handling uh, this. Uh, there are two cases in which we get it. One is a genuine rescue case, like, for example, uh, if, uh, say, a bird has gotten entangled in, my, in the net uh, covering my uh, window, Yep. right? So, and it's injured uh, himself, and we take it, we uh, rescue the bird, uh, treat him, uh, let him gain his strength, and then we look for the best uh, possible habitat where he can be released. Uh, for, so, for example, if we take the, the munias, the munias are small, uh, uh, munias belong to the uh, silverbill category. Uh, the silverbill and the finch category. So, uh, the munias, they need the dry scrub. So we look for, and uh, they, they, they typically aren't uh, territorial animals, uh, territorial birds or animals. So we look at look for good scrubland uh, where there is a lot of dry scrub where they can get the uh, get their insects and other things in abundance, and we release them there. And uh, as far as uh, territorial animals, like for example uh, cobras and other predator, predatory snakes are concerned, we try and release them back in their uh, from the place where they were rescued from. Okay. Now, uh, we get called on uh, snake rescues for multiple things. One is either the dogs have bitten them or they are construction injuries or somebody uh, it has gone into somebody's house and somebody has decided to be a brave uh, jackass and beaten the snake and we are asked to ex- uh, extract it. Or uh, 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 the snake has come inside the dwelling and the people have called our rescuers and they've come and extracted the snake. So in these cases, what we do is we typically take the animal back to ensure that uh, keep it with us for less than 24 hours where there's no injury. Okay. We keep it with us for less than 24 hours and we re-release them back in that area under the cover of darkness. Uh, why darkness <laughs> is because uh, the, these people think we are running a scam otherwise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Thanks a lot because, for, uh, for taking the snake away and putting it right back. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Then we come back, come to the case of certain other animals like your macaques, which is your bonnet macaques, what is, which is what is found, uh, the monkeys, which is found in South India, the bonnet macaques or uh, say uh, parakeets. 
the Alexandrian parakeets and the rose ring parakeets. These are kept as pets. A lot of them are reared from a infancy, from infancy upwards, and then they are either confiscated by uh, activists with the help of the forest department, or uh, they sometimes voluntarily come and give uh, give them up, or they are abandoned and somebody rescues them and brings them to us. And that's the, especially the case with um, uh, macaques because they kidnap these baby macaques from the wild. And when I, what I mean by wild is the urban wild, because they're supposedly very cute. And as the poor animal grows up, a little bit of the wild instinct comes out. And then suddenly this thing that they really doted upon is now enemy number one and is chucked out of the house, you know, leaving a bewildered animal. Yeah, exactly. And leaving a bewildered animal out in the open, uh, not knowing what to do. So these animals we keep with us and uh, it's a lengthy process where we try and we slowly dehumanize them, so to speak, and reintroduce uh, them into, their, uh, into a group of their own. So because uh, macaques is one of the high traffic uh, animals that we get. And uh, once that can be released within one or two months, we re-release them back to the area from where they were rescued and they have always rejoined their uh, troop. Okay. Uh, including one case where a young baby, uh, uh, not a baby, a sub-adult was uh, rescued and we had to keep him for about four months and we took a chance and released him there from where he was rescued. We were waiting there to see and uh, after a few moments, not few moments, a few minutes of uh, hesitance, hesitation, the mother came and grabbed him and went off, <laughs> which was a very gratifying uh, thing for all of us, you know. Uh, I mean, I'm sure you also know that. I mean, when you see the success in terms of an animal being released, that is that is what makes us do what we do, right? So, hey, I have a question for you. Um, I, Go ahead. I, I had initially thought to ask it, but I'll ask it. So how did you get involved in this this field? Um, you seem to have a, a lot of biological knowledge, some legal knowledge. Um, what, what pulled you into it? I started off as a wildlife photographer. Uh, because I was a wannabe wildlife photographer, let's be very honest there. Um, and I thought I was being a very uh, ethical and carbon conscious photographer and uh, and a tourist. Uh, and, an, and I was an armchair conservationist. Uh, so my claim to fame as an armchair conservationist was that I used to read a lot. And uh, by the way, I am a almost uh, zoology graduate. I quit in my final year of graduation and went and did my theater graduation. Yeah, from there, I came across a notice about eight years back, eight, uh, eight, eight and a half, nine, close to nine years back about a sale that WRRC was having. So I, I kind of liked what, uh, I liked their logo. So I, I wanted to look up what they stood for. And uh, I didn't bother calling anybody. I just downloaded the forms, filled it and sent it to them. And one month later, they called me and I started off as a volunteer. And uh, from a volunteer, I became a managing committee member. Now I'm a trustee, an honorary trustee on the board of uh, WRRC. Got it. Uh, and when I quit my corporate life, I was uh, I took a break, and then I worked with Mercy for Animals for two years. Now I'm on my own uh, as a digital consultant, which gives me that uh, space to continue to work with animals. Got it. Um, and so I'll, I sort of saved. I probably should have saved the happy question for the end, but maybe this will be a happy question. Um, okay. The last question I have is, it's something that we hear here, and I'm sure you hear it there. Um, mm -hmm. How do you have the conversation when people say, there are so many human needs here? Um, there are so many, oh. whether it's children, whether it's whatever, low, uh, poor people in the community, 
Um, why should we take money? Why should we take resources and devote them to animals? Yeah. So I have uh, two answers for these. Uh, the, I have faced this uh, uh, more often than you think. And I have two answers for this. One is I say that they are the voiceless and they need somebody to speak for them. And the other thing I say is if we do not save these animals, there will be no world left to save for these children. This is what I always say, because uh, I will go to my main, uh, my biggest passion, which is elephants. So the elephant is a umbrella species or a keystone species. And his survival, on his survival, depends the, uh, depends the survival of possibly thousands of species, you know, because he is very rightly, if you remember the film uh, Jungle Book, he's called the gardener of the forest. Sure. And that is absolutely right, because he creates new paths that the new paths for cause the uh, create uh, move, uh, possibilities for movement of the ungulates and other prey animals uh, on the because of which. Uh, the predator species survive. So, and uh, the tiger is another apex species which also holds the balance in place, right? And then there's so many other things, you know, the dung of the elephant is also uh, an ecosystem by itself. And during the uh, rainy season, even the something as base or very innocuous, not base, something as innocuous as uh, the footprint of uh, an elephant in the muddy, uh, in the slush, becomes a drinking truck for smaller animals and insects. Yeah. So every animal has its place, his or her own place in the ecosystem. And if we, if, uh, as it is, we are losing species by the thousands. I mean, nobody even, nobody even realizes how much we are losing on a daily basis. And uh, the, the balance is being upset little by little. So we need to do everything to save that so that the world is also saved. Great. Thank you. I have reached the end of the stuff I had asked, planned to ask you about. Um, okay. Before we wind up, do you have anything else you'd like to add? We have an outreach program, and when I speak to people, I always uh, tell people that uh, they need to be aware of uh, the fact that uh, because of the way the, the, our lives are with uh, the onslaught of technology and uh, the comforts that uh, technological advances have brought, we are totally disconnected with what happens outside of our balconies and outside of our apartment buildings. We know there is a tree there, but we do not know how many birds and animals depend on that tree. So I always tell them to be aware of those, observe those birds and animals, or observe all those animals and insects and see and try to infer for themselves how much of an important role they play uh, in our lives. And just by observing, we will be able to slowly realize the beauty of the animal world that is all around us, around us and of which we are a part of too. So if you are interested in helping us continue the, the work that we are doing with urban wildlife and with captive elephant welfare, please do go to our uh, website www.wrrcindia.org slash donate and you could donate, uh, uh, donate whatever you wish either on a uh, a small amount on a regular basis or whatever you could afford to donate for us because every little bit for us counts. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Urban Wildlife Podcast. If you like this podcast, please rate us highly on your podcast listening app of choice. Please um, get in touch with us if you have any comments at urbanwildlifecast at gmail.com. Hit us up on Twitter at urbanwildlifecast. Find us on Facebook. Let us know what you think. And we look forward to talking to you in the next episode. Did you say next episode? I did. <laughs> no, we stopped doing that a long time ago. <laughs>